Welcome to Here There Be Dragons, a Black Sails podcast. I'm Chelsea. I'm Lewis. And I'm Ned. Again. Ned's right. back. Ned's back because, as we've said before, Ned is a Treasure Island expert. I, confession time, have not read Treasure Island for a very long time. But Lewis recently read it. For the first time. For the first time. Over the summer. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Which I mentioned on the show already, right? I think so. Yeah, I mentioned yeah. early on. So we have various levels of knowledge going on here about Treasure mm-hmm. Island. But Ned. Yeah, I um, probably saw Muppet Treasure Island first. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me too. Uh, Me too. Which sure. it's, it's, it's really so good. It's yeah, it such is. a great film, and the music is so good. And the, the thing about it is, like, while much is changed, they, like, some of the dynamics that are most delicious in there are mm-hmm. done quite well yeah. by their long John Silver uh, Tim Curry. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's who it is? Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And, He's and, excellent. And their beautiful soprano-voiced <laughs> Jim Hawkins. <laughs> uh, and Gonzo and Rizzo. But, oh, yeah. my God. Yes. But the, no, but, but, but Gonzo and Rizzo serve a really good, okay, we, we can get into a Muppet Treasure Island podcast. Yeah. Well, but I mean to say, like, one of the things, like, one of our biggest topics probably for this episode will be Long John Silver. Yeah. Who is the main, in some cases, the chiefest and most interesting character <clears throat> in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and my closing note on Muppet Treasure Island will be their exploration of Silver as, like, someone who, what I said about addict, yeah. Yeah. John Silver as an addict, Part of that is informed by a scene that is not written in the book, but is done in Muppet Treasure Island, and mm-hmm. I think is really honest to it, which is when Jim spots Silver. So Silver, like, sneaks away from them in the mm-hmm. book. That's going so very out of order by talking about the end of the book, <laughs> which is itself the end of the Black Sails story, but... So Treasure Island spoilers are all good here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah for sure. So the final fate of Long John Silver, we don't know his final, final fate because he sneaks away. Um, I Let's see if I can find, like, uh, of Silver we have heard no more. That formidable seafaring man with one leg has at last gone clean out of my life. Uh... It's, uh but I dare say, okay, should we, okay, I just feel like I'm trapping over so many topics here, which is, like, no, one, good. like, Silver's, like, wife of color, like, yeah. referred yeah. to sort of, obviously, like, in an old racist way yeah. in the book. Sure. Um, most racistly by Squire Trelawney, who I think we're supposed to be like, well, that dude's a bit of a jerk. Yeah. Um, but, so, of Silver we have heard no more. That formidable seafaring man with one leg is at last gone clean out of my life because he sneaks away from them. But I dare say he met his old negress and perhaps still lives in the comfort with her and Captain Flint, the parrot. It is to be hoped so, I suppose, for his chances of comfort in another world are very small. That's um, the last reference on him. And uh, But he sneaks away. But in Muppet Treasure Island, they add a scene where he is sneaking away with some of the treasure. And Jim's like, mm-hmm. you don't have to do this. And he's like, I guess I feel I sort of kind of do. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a really, like, an honest interpretation of this character who is like there's something pathological and compulsive about mm-hmm. him in this book um in Muppet Treasure I'm sorry in Muppet Treasure Island isn't also the final scene Silver having to bail, bail out, out of the ship. book yeah, yeah. yeah. or yeah. bail out right. of the ship and swim He's back bu- to Treasure Island oh yeah yeah he has to swim back mm-hmm. that's an interesting editorial choice 
which Robert Louis Stevenson leaves blank. But yeah. yes, I mean Tim yeah. Curry has to swim back. to Treasure Even the Island. idea of swimming back to Treasure Island is like its own thing. But the uh, the main chief thing is that like the sun comes up and he's in his little rowboat sinking because there's too much treasure in it, basically. Yeah. Right? Or was it leaking? It I is. forget the That's, reason. Oh yeah, because Mr. Yeah. Arrow had been like, I need to check the leaky boats. Oh so yeah, leaky yeah. boats. <laughs> And they have. And too much. So Muppet Treasure Island has added a canonical ending for Silver that is in line with the intention of Robert Louis Stevenson. That's pretty good. Feel free to edit this bit about Muppet Treasure Island out (laughs) because nobody came here to listen to it. But, um, but I, okay, I was going back. Let's go back. (laughs) First I saw that. I also saw the Page Master has a really good Treasure Island sequence. Um, I loved the page master. Yeah, growing so up. that's got a great Long John Silver is like he's got a segment of that movie, and they like drop some good quotes of like we'll see what color your insides are. Um, it's a good take on Treasure Island, uh, and it includes the sort of like final trick of like they get like tricked by somebody uh, about where the treasure is, and like made to, like the plays on their suspicions and their super their superstitions. Um, although in that case, it's I think like a book with a face (laughs) (laughs) but um uh we should (laughs) definitely trim down this whole introduction um but you're wait you're introducing you're introducing your introduction i'm just introducing myself (laughs) as a kid i saw muppet treasure island i saw page master which all represent this story um and I read it. I bought this very copy that uh, this like well worn copy that I'm holding in my hands sometime when I was in college, um, because I just liked pirate stuff. I mean, I was a really big fan of pirates as a kid. I had a friend. We like were all about. We like wrote little pirate stories with ourselves. I'm talking actually like seventh grade, not like kid oh. kid. Yeah. Um, we wrote. We drew like comic books with ourselves as these sort of silly pirates, um, sure. and I. And I love Pirates of the Caribbean. I saw Pirates of the Caribbean 1 at the first the first showing on the first day uh, and loved it. Although I now, like, yeah, view that franchise with, like, a mix of pity and disappointment. Yeah. yeah. But um, but the first one's still the good. The first one is so good. Yeah. And, and even though I think actually the Jack Sparrow character has kind of aged poorly. Yeah. Particularly because it was so... One of the things that made it so enchanting was how different and unique it was. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's done it five times in a row, right. it stops feeling like a, like a really brilliant creation and more like, oh, I see how you do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It looks mm-hmm. pretty easy for you. I, I bet I can guess what you're going to say next. Like, yeah. literally. Or no, I mean, like, you, you can guess the Jack oh, yes, Sparrow yes, character, yes, yes. like, what he's going to say next. Yeah. And well, what I'm going to say next, though, is that Kira Knightley and Jeffrey Rush, they do the work that really holds up. Yeah. It's like, tone perfect yeah and i think here really nightly is the hero of that movie she's yeah. so good she's so good mm-hmm. and 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 barbosa is a perfect villain yeah in a way which like i think he deserves some major pats on the back for making like a long earnest like deliciously like towing the campy but also good yeah pirate drama is viable because like he did some great 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 work mm-hmm. in that part um but Treasure Island, I read in college because I was developing a with my um, a guy named Alejandro Te, who is my like major theatrical collaborator. We created this. We love these live stunt shows, like the Indiana Jones one at um, at, at Disney World, and we got to talking about how we could do like a live stunt show at our school at Northwestern, 
And um, we wanted to do something that was like kind of meta theatrical, where it was like about like a play breaking down. And we hit upon Treasure Island. It's like that's the play they should be doing, and that is what we should like pull our plot from. Mm-hmm. So Treasure Island being, in short, have you guys ever summarized Treasure Island on the show? I don't think you have. No. The plot of Treasure Island. I you don't think. I guess. Haven't. No, we haven't. Do we want to do that now? Do it after you... Dis- or Actually, yeah, we should yeah, do it now, because yeah. if you're going to describe how the show breaks down, you I'll need to understand the plot of I'll Treasure Island. I'll do it in one minute. Okay. <laughs> a kid named Jim Hawkins works in a tavern. An old, nasty seaman called Billy Bones bursts into his place, and after getting threatened by his old shipmates, who want something he has, dies. Jim finds a map that is marked with treasure. He takes it to a squire, who's a doof, and a doctor, who is smarter and they outfit a ship to go sail for the treasure and they pick to assemble their crew a really nice trustworthy cook called Long John Silver <laughs> who handpicks like the rest of the crew they go sailing Jim overhears that the crew is planning to mutiny they end up like splitting from the crew on the island um there are battles back and forth Jim at one point is trapped with the pirates and eventually the pirates go looking for a treasure which has gone missing because um uh a former former flint's crew member ben gunn who's been marooned on that island has taken the treasure from where it is and hidden it somewhere else the pirates are all defeated and the uh aristocrats plus jim get to keep the gold that's long. That's true. <laughs> so we adapted this into a play about a... What we were super interested in was, like, A, the rebellion against authority that's so much, like, a part of Treasure Island um, in a very, like... It's not the, like, against a government, which we mm-hmm. see in Black Sails. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, we can't stand to be hazed by these, like, doofus jerks who are running this ship one second longer. If I don't get... Like, we gotta kill them. Um, and we want to take the treasure, which is rightfully ours. Um, so we made it about a cast, uh, doing a really horrible, dysfunctional production of Treasure Island that rebels against the sort of like director and producer and administration of that show, um, and is trying to secure the cash box from the show as compensation. And we sort of adapted different like action sequences from the book into these like very sort of slapstick physical comedy, um, absurd sequences that sprawled across campus. Like, the show moved and went out to this little, like, uh, lagoon, and at one point, like, the finale took place down half on this, like, watery beach where people were, like, flipping around. I have no idea. When I think back, it's insane to me that we were allowed <laughs> yeah, to yeah. show. Were you allowed to? Yeah. You were allowed to be down there? Yeah. That's crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> we must have caught them, because the people who make those decisions about what's safe like, we're known to, and later on with us made more conservative decisions. We must have caught them on a great day. They're like, go, go for it. Yeah. yeah. When I look back at pictures of this, I, just, I, I don't understand. Which part specifically seems like overly dramatic? Like, being able to play down there or the kind of stunts yeah, that like you guys did? Yeah, like, there's rocks and yeah. shit down there. And we were, like, doing, like, flips into it. Yeah. Like, we should have died. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just leading tour groups around and, like, through academic buildings and, like, throwing cakes in people's faces and, like, breaking shit. Yeah. And wa- there was a part where the whole audience threw water balloons yeah. at the cast as they came running up a hill. to. That was dangerous. To, like, I remember that. People yeah. would fall. Like, it yeah, was slippery. Yeah. People, like, we asked an audience of 60 to just, like, bombard these t- 
10 actors with water balloons. It was really fun. It was a blast. It, it was, was really fun. As an audience member, was I was so transfixed. Fun. Cool. And it was also really fun to, uh, I mean, this isn't the Treasure Island related part, but the fact that it moved meant that it was like, uh, like I saw it once and then the next day I'd be on campus doing something else and then I would hear a noise and be like, oh, they're at the, oh, this is my favorite part. Like yeah. maybe I'll join and watch like the second half. Like yeah. I'm, I forget if the show was, it was free, right? So yeah, it wasn't like I, I was so. stealing anything by only joining for the second half <laughs> oh, of the yeah, show. It was free, but it yeah. was like totally like a communal experience that people could be like, what is going on over there? And it, so like we were interested in things like greed and mutiny. Uh, and we were also interested in like genre wise in like an adventure because it is like this is he holds his copy of Treasure Island like one of the early mm-hmm. great luminary adventure books of all time. Yeah. Which, like, um, I wonder if I can find any of those, like, quotes from the introduction. After this romance for boys, he must give us a novel for men and women. Um, <laughs> Treasure Island is both different and unexpected. Uh, to a serious critic, a boy's book about buried treasure and a one-legged pirate seemed almost an affront. So, that, like, he, like, Robert Louis Stevenson, I think, was, like, shut up with sickness in a rainy part of Scotland, he was, like, shut up in a cabin with, like, a little boy, and he, like, wanted to write a story for that guy, for that kid. Um, and he was, like, considered this serious author, and he wrote this, like... Like, those things were kind of tropes already. And as mm-hmm. they say, like, he got a history of pirates, but every pirate story, even by then, was already, like, a pastiche of other folk tales about pirates. So, like, it was already kind of involved a lot of, like, sort of pirate tropes... And, like, seemed like kind of like a, like a, not silly, but like a light, fluffy mm-hmm. adventure. Mm-hmm. But he just knocked it out of the park. And, like, now the tropes are his. Mm-hmm. Like a talking parrot. I was going to say, the parrot, was it, was that completely him? Or did he steal that from something in piracy? I honestly don't know. Because it's considered a Robert Louis Stevenson invention, right? Or, like, a... I feel like I've seen it written elsewhere that like the uh, the he came up a pirate's parrot yeah. is a Long John Silver thing like that yeah. originated with Long John Silver. I mean that that is entirely possible. Like yeah. and like, I mean I don't know. Like did, you know Shakespeare didn't come up with the things that he wrote, but right. maybe he did come up with the like yeah. elements as we know them and like well, yeah. But it seems so silly to have a parrot when you're a pirate. <laughs> you're like that doesn't seem why, like a... the words sound similar. Or... No, he was like, why would you have a bird on a ship with you? Like, I think, yeah, I don't. I it mean, makes perfect I don't sense know. to me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> okay, I don't know. I think part of it is like one of the things that we forget about this book is like for the. I wonder who fell for it and who didn't. Mm-hmm. Long John Silver doesn't drop his mask for a long time. Yeah. But I don't know what tropes were known at that time. Like, mm-hmm. the nice guy who isn't nice. Mm-hmm. Right. But he is incredibly that. Mm-hmm. Like, what they do for so long is say, like, this guy was not pirate-like. Mm-hmm. He had these, like, old sailor things, but... And they're things that we now think of as pirate-like because of this. But at right. the time, I tend to think, like, they're, like... There's a scary guy with a saber cut. There's a scary guy with who's missing two fingers. There's a scary guy with no eyes. And all those people are, like, instantly cruel and dangerous. And there's also this kind of, like, doughy, sweet guy who makes a lot of jokes about mm-hmm. stuff and has the fun talking parrot. And, like, he turns out to be the, um, yeah. the, the dreaded villain. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, partially, not partially, largely because of that 
sort of deceit. The fact that he is so, that he's all smiles. Um, how do you think, with that analysis, how does that play with um, the idea that Jim gets a warning about him? So is that important also that Billy Bones has already armed Jim with the knowledge that like the person you should watch out for has one leg and Jim is like, Receive that warning and still been like this must be another one. Like yeah, yeah. You know what? I think I think that potentially I'm giving uh, Robert Louis Stevenson contemporary readers like not enough credit. Like maybe they were supposed to know that yeah. Silver was bad. Yeah, I mean, but even, no, I mean that that is the whole like even boys like that's the point of the story that uh, any boy who's being read this story from. Um, by anybody or reading it in the book or watching it in Muppet Treasure Island, no matter what the guy's face looks like, this guy has one leg. Yeah. We were given an unambiguous warning at the beginning of the story. Look out for the guy with one leg. You had one instruction. Yeah. And like, well, it gives kids a chance to do something. Kids love to be smarter. Yeah. Like one step ahead from the characters that they're watching. And this is the moment to be like, no, Jim. Yeah. yeah. He just told you if I was Jim, I wouldn't have done that. But then but also the, sh- the book has to overcompensate in that direction because, like, mm-hmm. it knows that you will be suspicious. Or it knows, like, young children will be suspicious and be like, no, don't trust him. But then they just make him the sweetest guy. So it's, yeah, here's another here's another passage for later on. This is so, um, after Jim sits in the apple barrel and hears Silver, who's been so nice to him, do a couple interesting things. One, he talks to a... Uh, a crewman that he's trying to convert and he uses all these same nice things that he'd said mm. to Jim. So he uses the like, you're smart as paint and I know it when I first saw you. And Jim's like, you said that to me. Mm-hmm. You said that to me. And he like, he starts to realize like Silver's a liar. Mm-hmm. And he says he's your friend, but he's not really your friend, which is like a really big topic to get into. <laughs> so he hears I this. Should. Yeah. Um, he hears this and then he tells the the captain, Captain Smollett and Squire Trelawney and Dr. Lipsy, and they're like, well, we can't, we have to now pretend what that, that we don't know. So they, they go out. And then at this point, um, as soon as they arrive, like in sight of the island, they say, if the conduct of the men had been alarming, the bet in the boat, it became truly threatening when they'd come aboard. So all these, like the crew are getting ready to like break. They're like on the verge of mutinying. And it says, uh, Mutiny was playing hung over us like a thundercloud. And it was not only we of the cabin party who perceived the danger. Long John was hard at work going from group to group, spending himself in good advice. And as, for example, no man could have shown a better. He fairly outstripped himself in willingness and civility. He was all smiles to anyone. If an order were given, John would be on his crutch in an instant with the cheeriest, aye, aye, sir, in the world. And when there was nothing else to do, he kept up one song after another as if to conceal the discontent of the rest. And that was another passage when I was reading it. I was like... This is like that doof with the smile on the show who's always like, I don't know. I think this is like, he's always smiling. He's always being cheery. Yeah. And we haven't seen him be mad ruthless a ton, Mm -hmm. but we know in his introduction, he just stabbed this cook. Yeah. So we know that he can do that thing. I am very curious looking forward to see like, what acts of true aggression we're going to have from Silver. Mm -hmm. Well, how much in Treasure Island is it he actually doing the violence, and how much of it is he inciting violence with his words? It is more the latter, Mm -hmm. but it is some the former. Yeah. There's a really memorable scene 
when they when Jim gets onto the island, he's hiding in the jungle, and they haven't fully launched the mutiny yet. They're getting so close, but he sees Silver talking one on one with an honest one of the honest hands, uh, and is like, "I'm looking out for you, man. They're gonna do this one thing or another. I was against it. I was against doing a mutiny, but we're gonna have to." So, Silver's talking to this guy, Tom. He says, mate, it's because I think gold dust to you. Gold dust, and you may lay to that. If I hadn't took to you, I'd pitch. Do you think I'd have been here warning you? All's up. You can't make nor man. It's to save your neck that I'm speaking. And if one of the wildens knew it, where'd I be, Tom? Now tell me, where'd I be? And the guy's like, I can't believe you're going to do this, Silver. You seem like such a nice guy. And then he was interrupted by a noise, a horrid, long, drawn-out scream from nearby. And they're like, oh, they must have killed. And Tom says, uh... Uh, in heaven's name, tell me, what was that? That, returned Silver, smiling away, but warier than ever, his eye a mere pinpoint in his big face, but gleaming like a crumb of glass. That, oh, I reckon that'll be Alan. And at this point, Tom flashed out like a hero. Alan, the rest is sold for a true seaman. He's like, screw you, I'm not going to do this. With that, the brave fellow turned to walk directly on, turned direct his... And with that, the brave fellow turned his back directly on the cook and set off walking for the beach. But he was not destined to go far. With a cry, John seized the branch of a tree, whipped the crutch out of his armpit, and sent that uncouth missile hurtling through the air. It struck poor Tom, point foremost, and with stunning violence, right between the shoulders and the middle of his back. Whether he was injured much or little, none could ever tell. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Silver, agile as a monkey, even without leg or crutch, was on top of him the next moment and had twice buried his knife up to the hilt in that defenseless body. So he does have that moment, mm-hmm. um, which has me as a black sales fan wondering, when will we see Silver murdering people? Yeah. And of course, a huge question, when is Silver yes. going to lose his leg? Oh, yeah. Leg. yeah. He's got, he has a, what's another quote in here? He says, tis a fine thing to be a young lad with 10 toes. He's saying, it's, like, it's great to explore and stuff. When is this guy going to lose his leg? When is... What, I mean, we're not going to tell you. No, you're not going to tell But me. there's no... Of course, it never says in the book when he lost it, right? It does. It he does He says it? he lost it in battle under the immortal hawk. He says he lost oh. it... So it's a lie. This is one of those things where there is, as you have said, <laughs> canonical information, sort of, in this book. But is it or not? Because, for example, Silver says to Jim, like, I lost my leg in the Navy. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. Somebody else says it was the same blow, the blow that amputated me. Yeah, I think it's Silver that says the blow that amputated me, like Pew lost his deadlights on the same one. So he says Pew got blinded in the same... I remember that. The mm-hmm. same broadside. Okay. So maybe, well, hmm, there's more to say on Silver. Mm-hmm. who is Robert Louis Stevenson's favorite character. We know this. Um, another, there's something I read about the intro here, which I've never read, but it's called The Characters, The Tale, and it's a short story published by Robert Louis Stevenson, which was meta-theatrical, meta-literary, where long Robert Louis Stevenson, in his little short story, goes outside to take a smoke break between two chapters, and then Captain Smollett and Long John Silver have a conversation (laughs) about the writing of the story. Um, Where Silver says, I'm only a character in a sea story. I don't really exist, but I'm the villain of this tale I am. And speaking as one seafaring man to another, what I want to know is what's the odds? 
If there is such a thing as an author, I am his favorite character. He does me fathoms better than he does you. Fathoms he does, and he likes doing me. He keeps me on deck mostly all the time. If there is an author by Thunder, he's on my side, and you may lay to it. Um, Captain wow. Small. And Captain Small says, I see he's giving you a long rope. Um, <laughs> But so he's Stevenson's favorite character. Mm-hmm. The book was originally going to be called The Sea Cook. Oh, yeah. really? Now I feel like I, there's, there's, your, there's your tidbits. It was going to be The Sea Cook, although yeah. I think he did a, a good change on I the title. I think so, too. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, it seemed that, like, the, one of the characters... Oh, there's one little line in this intro where they say, like, the map is a little bit of a red herring because even though the characters are puzzling of that, the great puzzle of the book is the pirate. Right. As long as says, the puzzle is the pirate. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the great question of this book, in my opinion, is, like, is silver what's true and what's yeah. not true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he mm-hmm. ever serve in the Navy? Did the, pir- did the parrot do all these things he did? And I think most importantly, like, does he like Jim or yeah. not? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And that yes. relationship of, like, like, whether or not he is actually on... Th- there's a... A near climactic scene where Jim ends up back in this stockade house accidentally with the pirates. He goes he goes away, has a great, amazing sea adventure yeah. with his real hands. Yeah. Which is It's so good. So good and so <laughs> thrilling. Um and he comes back thinking he's returning to his friends and finds that it's now like, it's great because he walks into the house in the middle of the night and bumps into someone and then the parrot screams and he's like, no, it's the parrot. And they all wake up and it's all the pirates. Um, so he's with them and the pirates are mutinying against Silver for like the second or third time <laughs> after having mutinied against him. And they go against Silver and Silver stands up for Jim, which is really interesting, particularly, it makes me think of this moment, like, why in season one, episode eight, does Silver side with Flint, when Mm -hmm. it probably would make more sense to side with the crew? Well, what I know about Silver from this, or what's, what's ambiguous and interesting about this, is that at that moment where he should be, it seems like he should be giving any concession he can to the Mm -hmm. crew, like, go on, kill the boy. Mm -hmm. Because the boy, Jim gives this badass speech where he's like, I did this, I killed those guys on the ship. I stole the boat. I told them about you. And they're like, one of the pirates is like, great. He says, then here goes. And goes and stabs Jim. And and Silver, like, I don't, I forget if he draws his cutlass, but he basically is like, like, you want to fight him, you got to go through me. Which it seems to make no sense for Silver to do. Mm -hmm. And it is beautifully ambiguous about whether he is A, because he's always like claimed to like Jim, and he's like, see, there are moments when he like pauses and it seems like he's impressed. It is, A, a moment where he's so taken with Jim that he decides to stand up for him because he's, as he has said, like, you're the picture of myself when I was a young man. Mm-hmm. Or he then pulls Jim aside and is all like, oh, look here, Jim Hawkins, you're within half a pint of death and what's a long sight worse of torture? They're going to throw me off. So then he's like, uh, I'm going to get deposed. And uh, Jim says, you mean I was lost? He says, I by gum I do. Ship gone, neck gone. That's the size of it. Uh, Um, As for that lot in their council, mark me, they're outright fools and cowards. I'll save your life, if so be as I can, from them. But see here, Jim, tit for tat, you saved Long John from swinging. So basically, like, Mm -hmm. at that moment, it seems like he sticks up for Jim for principle, and that may be it. But he also says, like, 
I think that our pirate enterprise is pretty much toast. And when we are captured, I want you to send all those guys to be hanged and to say that I stood up for you. Yeah. And we must always wonder, does he like Jim? Mm -hmm. Or is he always choosing the thing that will keep him alive? And season one yeah. is doing that yeah. really well. Yeah. Yes. Where it's hard to say who he does like, if anybody. Does he like Flint? Or what? Yeah. I have a few questions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm sorry that I keep bringing it back to Muppet Treasure Island. but I was like, <laughs> I'm Ned, not sorry. Ned and I were talking, oh, we, we had when we had dinner tonight, we were talking about endings and finales yeah. in general. And like... Uh, finality to stories and how that's like a, uh, it's a, it's a rarity with the, with the, um, style of storytelling that's prevalent now with like TV shows and movies and extended universes and all that stuff. But the, a TV show finale and uh, in some, or most recent TV show finales for us is like, are, are good examples of different ways to put endings on stories. And we were, and I was just thinking, as you said that, the Treasure Island ending does not give you any more clarity to that ambiguity. Like, the, if the book is the pirate is the puzzle, you don't get any clarity by the end of it. No. no like, you do get clarity in the treasure. Like, the treasure, like, mm-hmm. mystery is solved. You know where it is. It's found. That's resolved. But the end of the book is, like, continues to be that ambiguous. There's no closure for Jim. And, in fact, like, it might also be... Like, you can imagine a sequel to Treasure Island Four season stars TV show that yeah. is also yeah. like yeah. really compelling about how what Jim grows up to be like and who he what he says about his adventures. Yeah, um, but you never learn what Silver thought, and you don't even learn what happens to him. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like what happens to Dracula? He gets staked. Yeah, what happens <laughs> to this villain? That villain? What Darth happens Vader. to what happens to Darth Vader? Yeah, what happens to Long John Silver? Uh, it's not clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. unclear by the end of the book. Yeah. He gets away. Yeah. Goes somewhere else. And and that's why I was just thinking about Muppet Treasure Island, because do you think that Muppet Treasure Island gives you at least a little bit of emotional closure? I feel like it does to me make it feel like Tim Curry really liked that boy. I think so. I think so. Which I think it has to do for like the kids yeah. mm-hmm. cartoon the audience, thing. It, it gives you closure that like the they had a special thing. You know what's fascinating? I just had a flashback to seeing Muppet Treasure on my grandma, and I'm like, what happens to Silver? Does he make it to the island or not? She's like, I think you have to decide yourself. <laughs> and it was like, that was the literal introduction to me, yeah. to the idea of a purposefully ambiguous ending where you have to decide. Yeah. Wow, all Treasure Island, how about that? <laughs> okay. I mean, we can choose if we want to leave this in or not. I just want to say that the finale of Black Sails is, I think, very satisfying and does provide a conclusion, yet still embraces this ambiguity of And that is what we'll say on that. Yeah. And that's all we'll say. So I'm doing... I'm in an... It's an interesting position to be still watching the show and to have this, because the, the choice to go back and look at the characters who are referenced as having Pirate Adventures before this... Mm -hmm. It's like, it's bleak by the beginning of Treasure Island. Yeah. So you know, some people have a ways to go. I mean, Silver yeah. has a ways to go in that he's beautiful right now. <laughs> and Flint has a ways to go in that, like, he is dead. Mm-hmm. The one who maybe, so far, in my opinion, has the farthest way to go is Billy Bones. Yes. Who, well, A, is unaccounted for, <laughs> shocking me greatly. <laughs> <laughs> that he is just, that, like... As far as we're concerned, 
we're now in like the the mid season and he's just unaccounted for. But Billy Bones in the beginning of Treasure Island, a smaller character than Silver, but an interesting one, is way different. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Let's start with one thing. He's a guy who dies of a stroke. Which, like, how that's going to happen to this, like, beautiful young soccer player <laughs> whom we see in this, this show. gigantic, yes. gorgeous I'm man. like, that guy will never die of poor health, ever. I don't think he will ever die. No, I, yeah, I don't. So that's a ways to go. Um, uh, Billy Bones is not referred to as Billy Bones most in this book. He's most referred to as the captain. Mm. Silver is also referred to as Captain, mm-hmm. Captain Silver. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a new thing for him. He he was never said to have been a captain before. Yeah. But the character of Billy Bones is more known as the captain mm-hmm. uh, in this book. He um, is certainly not democratic. They said he was the type who is accustomed to be obeyed or to strike. They say he is... Okay. okay. You guys are smiling. <laughs> so I guess I'm just saying, like, there are fun hints in here, and here's what I'm getting. They yeah. also so he's also a, an, a, a, an intense alcoholic. Mm. He's the most addicted to rum. Mm. He he like when he has he has a first stroke, and then the doctor's like, don't give this guy any rum, and then he like threatens to like beat the shit out of Jim, and is like, rum's been man and wife, like night and day to me. Mm. Like I need it. Give me a glass of that. I lived off rum. Um, He tells some stories that are fun. Um, This, like, nasty old... He's got a saber cut on his cheek. That's, like, one fun little thing to maybe look forward for. Um, He's, like, a, like, beat-to-shit, deeply paranoid uh, old alcoholic who says, I'm going to drop this bus a day. I have a drain of rum. Um, If I don't have a drain of rum, I'll have the horrors. I've seen some on him already. I see an old flint in the corner there mm. behind you, as plain as print. I seen him. And if I get the horrors, I'm a man that has lived rough and I'll raise Cain. He says something else where he's like, I've been in Savannah, I've like seen knives going and the earth shaking. Is there an earthquake in this show? No. No. Okay. Well, Billy Bones Sorry. sees one at some point. Um, but, okay. I'm going to go to the next page. Ah, uh, Black Dog. He's a bad one, but there's worse to put him on. Now, if I can't get away know-how and they tip me the black spot, mind you, it's my old sea chest they're after. You get on a horse. Blah, 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 blah. Um, tell him to go to the Admiral Benbow, and he'll lay them all aboard. All old Flint's crew, man and boy, all of them's that left. I was first mate, I was. Old Flint's first mate. And I'm the only one as knows the place. He gave it me at Savannah when he lay a-dying. Like, as if I was to you now, you see. There is reference to Flint dying of rum at Savannah. Yes. So I'm going to put that out there as someone who hasn't watched the show. Mm-hmm. And other people who are listening and haven't watched the show can be like me wondering if Flint is going to die of rum at Savannah. But, yeah, like, Stevenson's pirates were, like, all really, like, just, like, like drawn out, like, worn out old, like, booze addict and that's like how they all died a lot Mm -hmm. of them that's like how he has flint dying Mm -hmm. but also the other thing to like get into and look forward to is like who's afraid of who Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they are all so powerfully afraid of flint yeah oh they also say flint's last words because at the end when they're going for the treasure ben gunn the marooner uh says like darby mcgaw darby mcgaw Fetch aft the rum. And someone says, those were Flint's last words. 
Now I'm guessing that like the stars television show will not end Flint with the lines Darby McGaw fetch after the rum. <laughs> or maybe they will. I don't know. I don't I don't know what they'll do. But um But there's a lot of stories about Flint. There's a lot of stories about Flint. There's tons that go through here, and the parrot's name is Flint. You gonna say something? Well, I was gonna say you said the the character that looms the largest in this book is Flint, who is like the character. He's not in the book. Like yes, and and they also refer to it as Flint's treasure, right? Yes. Here's what we know. Here's another thing about Flint. Somebody says Flint went ashore with six men. Oh. And he buried the treasure, mm-hmm. and he came back in a boat by himself. And how he killed those six men, I don't know. But we get a lot of, so, so, piecemeal throughout the story, because nobody ever is like, let me tell you a lot about Captain Flint. Uh-huh. But he's a character who's dead, who mattered a lot to a lot of these characters, because most of them are old Flint's crew. Um, Israel Hands was Flint's gunner, they say. Bones was first mate. Silver was quartermaster. Uh, ben Gunn was on there. Pew was on there. Um, who else? Black Dog was on there. These are all character names. So I'm curious as to, like, I suppose, like, one thing the show could do is say, like, those guys are all in there. They're in that crew. We're just not seeing them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about them because the book makes such a choice to focus on them. Um, uh, Flint was captain. I was quartermaster along on my timber leg. The same broadside I lost my leg, old Pew lost his deadlights. It was a master surgeon, him that amputated me, out of college and all, Latin by the bucket and whatnot. But he was hanged like a dog and sun-dried like the rest at Corso Castle. Um, so there's lots of reference to, like, most of these pirates, as was the historical case. Like, yeah. the end for most pirates was to be arrested and tried and hanged. By England? Yes. Okay. Also, interesting, all these characters are in England by the end of this. Mm-hmm. So we're in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. in Black Sails, but this all starts in England. Mm-hmm. Although... Arguably, well, Flint definitely, or Silver is definitely set up there where he runs a restaurant with mm-hmm. his wife of color. Uh, a lot of the other ones arguably could be pursuing Billy Bones because mm-hmm. that's how the whole thing gets started. They all he has Flint's fist. That's what they call the map. Um, oh. oh. Hmm. At one point, Pew's like, "Does he have it? Does he have Flint's fist?" Um, Pew, one of my favorite characters in the book, uh, for his rel- relatively short, uh, appearance. Um. He's a great character in my Patricia Ryan, Ryan too. Pew. <laughs> I know you're here, Billy Bones. <laughs> <laughs> a pretty little girl. <laughs> Take me to Billy Bones. <laughs> yes, he is a great character in my Patricia Ryan. Maybe yeah. that's what I mean, is he's my favorite character in my Patricia Ryan. Blind Pew. <laughs> what you don't know is that Max becomes Blind Pew. <laughs> yeah, I would I would entertain the possibility that some one of these characters is like gonna like Anne Bonnie is the most Pew like character because she's like scary <laughs> oh, and shit. ragged. Gentlemen of fortune usually trust a little among themselves and right they are in a bit late to it. But I have a way. When a mate brings a slip in his cable, when his knows me I mean, it won't be in the same world with old John. There was some that was feared of Pew, and some that was feared of Flint. Flint, his own self, was feared of me. Feared he was, and proud. That was the roughest crew afloat, was Flint's. The devil himself would have been feared to go to sea with them. Which I think is a, like, probably I can see somebody writing that being like, do we have a show? 
Can we, <laughs> can we do a show with that? The roughest crew afloat is Flint's crew. Yeah. Um, but what's so cool about Black Sails is that it, like, just hearing you talk about the book, it so takes both the adventure story, but also the deep character development of Silver, but it applies it to almost every main character. Yes. Yes. Like, it takes both of those elements and just, like, deepens both of them for the whole show. Yes. And does what the historical figures and the non-historical figures Mm -hmm. addressing, for starters, one of the things that it, like, definitely does is address, like, one of the conspicuous deficiencies of this book to, like, our 21st century eyes, which is that, like, there's one female character, and she's boring, and she's in it for, like, three pages, and it's Jim's mom. Mm. And then after that, there's literally not a single one after that. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, like, 18th century, and he's like, I'm a man, and I write for men, and boys in this case, and uh, this is about pirate ships, and pirate ships had men. Yeah. So, obviously, what the show has done has been like, um, it hasn't taken the easy way out, which many shows do, even one set in fantasy universe, which is say, yeah. like, women just weren't really, like, participants in these stories yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think we probably like most commonly and infuriatingly hear about Game of Thrones being like, yeah. oh, in the real in the time when you set this, this <laughs> fictional <laughs> fantasy ice dragon ass bullshit. Yeah. Um, I like Game of Thrones, but like clearly the show has said like, um, we are not going to take this as a as an impediment, and mm-hmm. and also, and also that historical understanding is like usually wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, they created Max and Eleanor, but they didn't create Anne Bonny. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, there are other female famous women pirates out there that you... Yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That I get to meet? Well, I'm not saying that. You don't want to say that. I'm not saying okay. that. I'm just saying it's Anne is not an exception in the world, either. I mean, like, she's yeah. she's special because she's Anne Bonny, but, like... But what I love about the show is that, like, she's, she's Anne... Bonnie, but she's not just a male pirate character played by a woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, her being a woman is also very imperative to her character. Yes. It affects the way that she has to interact with the crew. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I also like, maybe this is overly simplistic of me to say, but... I feel like they do both of the things you're saying, where they do they do say the walrus is crewed entirely by men, mm-hmm. and the walrus storylines are very male-centric. But if we're going to include women on this show, then we have to go to where the women are. Mm-hmm. Like, Ele- yeah. Eleanor, mm-hmm. the story about Eleanor is about Eleanor, Max's story. Like, you, you feel a whole camera and a crew go in and be like... We want to do a story about one of you, and like, and Max is the character, and Max is suddenly, you know, it, it, whereas she would have to be, like in Game of Thrones, for example, she'd have to be destined to be some long-lost princess or whatever, where instead she's like, she's just her character, we're going to go and follow her story mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in a way that uh, feels like it's harder. I mean, it, like, as an audience member, it's harder, because you sign up for a pirate show, and then you start to see these other characters you weren't expecting, and then they grow on you because they're interesting, good characters. Yeah. Right. Um, so I feel like I'm glad they didn't take... It's it's true in the spirit of the Robert Louis Stevenson book that Flint and Silver were on a crew with men, because they clearly, in this book, have no... Like, they have nothing to say about women, you yeah. know, in, in, in Treasure Island. Um but then, of course, there's the Mrs. Barlow stuff, which, like, mm-hmm. is, like, completely left field. Yeah. 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 What do you think about that? What do I think about the Mrs. Barlow stuff? Yeah. 
Well, the Mrs. Barlow stuff for me in season one is definitely still, like, clouded in much ambiguity. Yeah. Still. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems to be the word of the evening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I dig it. I like the idea... Like, I, like, it only sank in, like, later on when she was like, I want to go back to Boston. Then I'm like, oh, she was really, like, I forget that, like, when I picture the, like, the ar- the aristocratic life, that, like, she was that. She was in, like, the, the ball gowns, and now she lives in, like, a, like yeah. a desert hole on mm-hmm. this island. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that interesting, and I find uh, the, like, the arguments that she has with Silver mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah, it's it's like them them not taking the easy way out in being like, well, the pirate ship's men, so the show's men. They're mm-hmm. like, no, it's like the world is half women, and the mm-hmm. cast will be half women. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on that's interesting. It's mm-hmm. not just all the pirate battles, mm-hmm. which is nothing that makes the show sustainable mm-hmm. as a show instead of just like a ninety minute pirate battle movie. Right. right. And it's been it's been noted, um, particularly in that hypothetical article that we recommended a couple episodes ago, that the vast majority of the viewership. Is women well? It feels like the the fan the fandom of right. black sales is we, very fe- yes. is female. We don't have any exact data. Yeah, it feels like the the people who are writing about it, who are interacting on social media, primarily, or maybe not even primarily. You know, it might be fifty percent, and it just feels like there's a majority <laughs> of women because so that's, many of the conversations about many shows are just dominated. Exactly, yeah. and women. especially shows that are. Um, it's not. This is the show isn't fantasy, but it is. There's got to be a better word for it. That's not like swashbuckling. I mean, it's, it's like genre. yeah, it's, it's historical stuff, yeah. fiction, mm-hmm. really. But it also is historical fiction of a fictional book yeah. too, yeah. included in that. Which I guess historical fiction and you know, sort of leaning into romance does include a women audience base a lot of the time. But this show is produced by Michael Bay, like. <laughs> They didn't think this show. I put show that out of my mind. I forgot was, that fact. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Like they yeah. did not think the show was gonna be for women, and yet I bet he doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he hasn't seen it, dude. I, yeah, I you're right. He just signed it. Like, yep, yeah. looks good. Yeah. I bet he thought it was canceled after season one. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> we have opinions about him. Yeah. But sorry, you were saying. Well, it's just such, it's such a deep character study and it's so about relationships and it also includes so many well-rounded female characters who are also LGBT characters. I mean, they, like... Yeah, I don't even think about how much that stands out yeah. from other from many of the shows. I mean, just as a woman myself who really likes fantasy and sci-fi, like, there are so few shows that I can look to to really invest in, like, this show and... And I don't think that I'm, like, rare. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of women out there who like this type of content, but just don't get to see themselves in it, mm-hmm. ever. And yeah. Game of Thrones felt like it was a, like it was yeah. going that way because of the number of female characters on them. But then you really look at the writing and what their stories are, and you yeah. just, you can't blame... You can see that there's a difference between the way you're writing those characters and the way you're writing these characters on Black Sails. Big time. Also, just, like, the quality of the writing of this show is... Well, yeah. It's incredible. Oh, you were saying the, the LGBT thing. Like, we were just talking about in the, the season eight finale conversation, or season one, episode eight finale conversation, 
about tracking Eleanor and Max's relationship from the first few episodes to like where they bound back to in mm-hmm. season eight or at the end of season one. And the same exact thing was happening with Vane. Like Eleanor's Eleanor's stories about this relationship she had with this man mm-hmm. and this woman, and both mm-hmm. of them are sort of running in parallel about these people who've been pushed to their like the very yeah. bottom and are climbing back mm-hmm. up in somewhat in spite of, but also for their own personal journeys despite Eleanor. And that is like a not, it's not like, um, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's showing this bisexual woman at the center of Uh this very powerful relationship dynamic that is a driver of the stories in the show. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like, um, it's not sexual. You know, it's relationship driven. It's yeah. her relationship that she had that was very meaningful with this man and this relationship she had that was very meaningful with this woman. And they're both very important. And they're, and I love that Vane acknowledges how important it is. Yeah. Yeah. When they're having that scene in the hut when Max is captured and he's like, why didn't you just leave? And she was, or I, I forget what he asks her, but she says something like, you know, you know exactly what, like. what I feel like. Yeah. And he, and he's like, you're right. Yeah. I do. That's when I got on board with Vane. Yeah. Who I whom I said I did not like episode one. Mm-hmm. But I got on board when he like was clearly like so thrown by Eleanor, like not loving him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm interested in this guy now. That's mm-hmm. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about like another badass pirate. But then of course he's mm-hmm. deeper. <laughs> so. Are you more invested, or were you more invested in the uh, Treasure Island characters going in just because you knew yes. where they ended up? Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there are any exceptions to that. No. I guess you said Anne, that you were interested in Anne. I was interested in Anne, but I was more interested in, I didn't think there was... I was interested in Anne without thinking there was, like, a ton to her yet. But you right. also knew when you when Anne was introduced that she was a real pirate, right? I recognize the name Anne Bonny. Yes, yeah. I, I, I know a bit about Anne Bonny. I knew the name Jack Rackham. I never mm-hmm. heard of Charles Vane. Yeah. Charles Vane was a pirate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember what year Treasure Island is supposed to take place in? Jeebs. I don't know. I remember it being something like the late 1700s. Yes, I was thinking 1780 or thereabout. Yeah. Ah, but here's the thing. In, in that way of... It's 17 dash. This is the thing they did a lot of those old stories where they, uh, like, they'll they dash out something as if, like, this is a true story and we have yeah. to leave out the info. But yeah, the late 1700s. I mean, like, it was written... Oh, never mind. It was written in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. How about that? Anyway, <laughs> go on. Um, if you tried to draw out a timeline of the characters, I don't think it actually works. Like, I think mm-hmm. that there is a year given in Treasure Island that would make Silver, like, 80 years old if you were going to actually track it from Black Sails. Like, mm-hmm. the timeline doesn't actually work out. Yeah. And I think that's the first indication that these are loose, these yeah. are sort of loose stories or whatever. But Can I ask the, you this, yes or no? Yeah. Are we going to get all the characters that I named? No. Not no. all of them. I did not think so. No. Okay. But m- much more than we have right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. More. There's more to come. Um, Fine. But also, um, what you can take from that, from the timeline mis- mismatch, is that a lot of time, pa- unless there are huge time jumps in the seasons of Black Sails, which... Um, You've seen production stills, like the characters maybe years go by, but not decades. Yeah. Um, the story will leave off decades before Treasure Island. Yeah. The captain is... Uh, no, uh, Long John Silver's 50 years old. 
in that. Trial. Yeah. Okay. He says, I'm 50 now. Yeah. yeah. So, if, so if we're going to take that as like fact ish, mm-hmm. as far as silver statements can go, far, yes, yeah. yeah. Like, there's definitely, really there's definitely at least a few decades between <laughs> his character dying his hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fifty. <laughs> there's definitely at least a few decades between the character we're seeing now in the show and the character there. Yeah, and that's why it like there's so there's there's um. There's a lot in the characters you're talking about, like Silver and Billy, that um, and and other characters mm-hmm. that uh, you you have to assume a lot of character work is going to happen in those years too. Yeah, they're like what happens after Black Sails and before Treasure Island, and we can talk about this more specifically as the show goes on. But the interesting thing is everything that's said about Flint in that book, I'm I'm thinking of Toby Stevens. Oh like, yeah, everything they say about Flint, I'm like. That's the Flint we're having right now. I agree. Yeah, like that's so scary. The history they're talking about is the history we're watching right now. Yeah, where they're all terrified of him, and like I'm like, you've done a good job here. Like I was, I mean, I thought about that when he goes, keep wondering. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Because you're like, this kid should be scared of that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although theoretically, by four seasons from now, by th- three seasons from now, Flint, again, who knows? Is Long John? a truth teller or not. But I, as a fan of this book, at this point, I'm like, I want to at least once get to a point where Flint is scared of Silver. And I think the first glimpse of that we might get is, it's not quite scared, but when Flint is emotionally compromised mm-hmm. by Gates' death, yes. and Silver's like, let's go through him, here's what we're doing next. Yep. Where you start to see, like, for all of Flint's, like, you have to be cold. You have to keep it together. Yeah. Like, he's there emotional, and Silver's like, completely unaffected. Yeah. So nonplussed about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have questions? Because if you don't, I have a thing to say. But say, say Oh, you say, you, yeah, say, say your thing. thing. It's, it's a big thing. Questions. Yeah, yeah, say okay, your yeah, big say thing. Okay, say your thing and I'll think of questions too. Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson's three big lessons on yeah. how to get the treasure you're going after. Mm-hmm. Number one, lie. Be devious. Because all the way through this, um, there are, like, like everybody's lying to everybody. Like, mm-hmm. first off, Silver's like, I'm an old cook, and I've never been a pirate, and I hear pirates are real scary. The first thing that happens, actually, the, the introduction of Silver is that Jim goes to fetch Silver to give him a note, and he sees Black Dog, who he knows a pirate. He's like... That's Black Dog. And Silver's like, Black who? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we gotta get a guy after him. Chase after that guy. And then he like does this like big, like, mm-hmm. like brow beating the guy he sent after him. He's like, you, did you, or the guy who was drinking, he's like, do you know that guy? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, shame on you. If you knew that guy, I'd never let you in here again. Which is the very, like, a, a complete conspicuous lie. Because he, oh, yeah. like, very soon is revealed to be like, I know that guy. Yeah. Um, we used to sail together. Um, <laughs> all the way through he lies. He gets... All the men lying, although like, it is an element of the plot that no one's as good at it as him. That th- that quote I read where it's like he was going about like cheering these guys up and saying "aye aye sir," it's because like he has to set the policy, and everyone's dragging their feet to follow him. At that point, our like heroes are also lying because they're pretending not to know that there is a uh, a mutiny in progress. Then when they go to shore, they have a couple different interesting sort of truce meetings in which they continue to lie to each other. <laughs> uh, in which the good guys lie to the bad guys and the bad guys lie to the good guys. At the very end, 
I mean, Silver lies to everybody, and he, he, like, he tells his crew, like, he makes this amazing oration and immediately turns around to Jim and is like, well, like, let them all be hanged, but save Long John. Um, and the very last thing that, the, like, the good guys kind of do is Dr. Lipsy's like, here's the map. We're not going after the treasure. You should take it. Oh, there's a little thing with, um, there's an interesting interlude where Jim and Israel Hands are alone on the ship. Oh, yeah. Which is amazing. An amazing scene because what they first have to do is sail the ship into the harbor together, knowing that like each one of them wants the other one dead. Mm-hmm. And they're like, like collaborating and like having their weird sort of debates. Although one of the things that allows Jim to beat him is that Israel Hands is, according to Jim, immensely stupid. <laughs> and it's so clear that Silver is incredibly smart, particularly in his final defense oration, which is a lie. Oh, but so the last thing the, the, the good guys do, quote-unquote good guys, is the doctor says, like, here's the map, you can take it, and they go out looking for it, and it's gone, which was all, like, the good guys already had it, but basically Dr. Livesey, like, set them up so that they would turn on each other and kill each other, mm-hmm. um, which is, like, lesson one is, like, lie a lot, and that, I think, is, like, huge all Mm -hmm. through as we've sort of already discussed like I think one of the major 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 themes of this season has been like don't tell them the truth they can't handle the truth tell them a lie like we try to get Billy to lie we try to get Dufresne to lie I guess it doesn't work with Dufresne it works for a second no it does work it works but I'm talking about when Silver says Dufresne, don't go out. Oh, and I uh-huh. now remember the timeline that it does work. Dufresne goes out and says, like, tell him we don't have tobacco. Tell him we're a merchant ship. Tell him this. Yeah. So then they do that whole thing. And right, but, well, then, but then he Dufresne pulls the pistol, pistol on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's a, it's like a, that's like, ha- like many minutes later. Mm-hmm. But so. Dufresne's also lying to Silver in that moment because, because he, he has the letter from Gates. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. So lie. And, and tons lie. of lies. And, and obviously, like, Flint is the biggest, strongest example of, yes. like, I'm going to keep telling them lies about what we're doing here. Um, and so that runs all the way through it. And, like, every... And, like, Mr. Scott lies to mm-hmm. Eleanor. And, like, Guthrie lies to Eleanor. And, like, they lie to Guthrie. And, and uh... Everybody lies to everybody, and everybody's deceitful, and they, like, hide their truths. And Silver mm-hmm. is, like, I said Flint is number one. Hard to say. Yeah. Who is number one liar? Even Randall lies. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or does he? Occludes yeah. the truth. Um, rule number two, uh, be ruthless, mm. which Jim has an arc. Um where, so his father dies very early on, and then Billy Bones, the captain, dies. Um, it's a curious thing to understand, for I certainly never liked the man, that's Billy Bones, though of late I'd begun to pity him, but as soon as I saw that he was dead, I burst into a flood of tears. It was the second death I had known, and the sorrow of the first was still fresh in my heart. Um, let's jump forward to on the boat after he shoots Israel hands um, and Israel hands uh, like in an awesome action scene um, 
like, falls from the, the shrouds, like, off the ship. The ship, like, crashes on the land and goes sideways, and then they're up on the shrouds, and he shoots and he falls into the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like, after that, he has to throw over this other dead body of O'Brien and says, in that position, I could have easily had my way with him. The habit of tragical adventures had worn off almost all of my terror for the dead. Um, which is like an arc that happens in this little 14-year-old boy, or however old he is. And sort of likewise tied in with their lies, but like, the, it is sort of agreed upon amongst like the captain, the squire, and the doctor, all these sort of like our noble aristocrats, that like, once the rebellion has initiated, like, murder of their enemies by any means necessary is fair game. They basically say like, we have to try to kill them. Before, one by one. Yeah. It's like it's like not even said as like kill them before we kill us. It's like our best chance of succeeding in our goal is to like pick off the pirates and let them die of like plague and such. Um and that's how like Silver succeeds as well. Like so George Mary is the like almost the nearest intellectual threat to Silver. He's a character who comes in at the end, um, and is like leads the second mutiny against Silver. Uh, which Silver talks down, but then the second George Mary gets wounded by the good guys, Silver, like, shoots two pistols into him while he's lying on the ground. It's like, that's you, George. I settled you, George Mary. Um, so, like, that sort of ruthlessness also definitely reflected in the show, uh, and again, most seriously embodied, I guess that's sort of tied in with the lying, but most yeah. seriously embodied by... Flint, who seems to be shooting first, who seems to be pushing under yeah. a collapsing boat first and asking questions later. Also uh, by Eleanor, though. Oh my god, yes. Actually, by the numbers, mostly by Eleanor. <laughs> who yes. says, like, eight. Kill all eight of them. Yeah. yeah. I know that one guy is a dick, but if you're gonna kill him, you, you just have to kill them all. Yeah. So yeah, she's absolutely ruthless. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's, like, one of the first episodes where we're like, well, Eleanor's really on top of her shit. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's cold, but, like, she's been struggling so much mm-hmm. that, like, that's, in a way, kind of in a... I mean, this chat with Max in this episode is a climax, but, like, in terms of her struggles to gain control of the island... Well, maybe now I'm talking out my... I don't remember, like, how, like, that murder ties in with, like, her building the compendium, mm-hmm. which is her, like business victory mm-hmm. for someone that nobody takes seriously like it's yeah, a pretty someone... big moment in her arc for her to be like kill them all yeah. yeah and like I think we could probably see many other echoes of that sort of interestingly any guesses on what the third lesson is mm. lie be ruthless so it's tell lies don't worry about killing people Mm-hmm. allies Make friends? No, that's a good one. Uh, that that doesn't seem to be the main lesson. Oh, wait, wait. I, I kind of oh, do want to guess. Do you see it echoed in the themes games. of the show already? The reason that I've come up with this is because I've seen it echoed in the themes of the show, but it is a... It is a, it is a, it's a, it's a left turn. It's a less conspicuously yeah. pirate drama lesson than, than kill and lie. Is it there's always a way? No, that's a really good one, though. Is it for, for the greater good? It's tied to that. Or, like, for, for a bigger purpose? It's tied to a 
classical author. Have, the ends justify the means. Have a vision. Or it's better to be feared stoic. than loved. It is be stoic. It yeah. is control your impulses. Yeah. That is, I think, a huge lesson of this book, mm. which, as the authors, as as critics have said, like in in some ways could I guess be seen as a victory of the upper class over the rabble. Yeah. But it's not their being poor that makes them that makes them the rabble because two members of the rabble, Jim and uh, a guy named Abraham Gray, are part of the victorious good. Mm. The like the winners who get the treasure are those who are able to control themselves. The most mm. obvious symptom of this being that the pirates are like drunk the entire time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So many mentions. If you read this book, it's crazy how many times they talk about like there they were wasted again. <laughs> like one of the ways he gets the better of Israel hands is that like he's been like on a bender for three days <laughs> on his pirate ship. And Jim is like not doing that. And Silver, one of the first mentions is with Pew. Pew shows up to the Admiral Benbow Tavern to get the map with a bunch of his guys. Is it there? The money's there. Flint's fist, I mean. Um, and then they get a warning that, um, the patrols are coming. They get a warning the patrols are coming, and basically everybody with Pew is like, we want to get out of here. Um, and he says, you have your hands on thousands, you fools, and you hang a leg. You'd be rich as kings if you could find it, and you know it's here, and you stand there skulking. There wasn't one of you dared face Bill, and I did it, a blind man. And I'm going to lose my chance for you. I'm going to be a poor, crawling beggar, sponging for rum when I might be rolling in a coach. If you were the pluck of a weevil in a biscuit, you would catch them still. Well, it says, hang it, Pew, we got the doubloons. And they like he like gets in a fight. And it's the first thing where, like, uh... A leader is like, if you could just be patient and wait and work a little bit harder, you could have thousands instead of the, like, dozens of doubloons that we've got right now. And then Silver says that a bunch of times. So something that, like, a constant negotiation for Silver is, like, that everybody wants to mutiny right away. Mm. And he says, uh, uh... You'll keep sober, you'll speak soft, and you'll ke- you'll live hard, and you'll speak soft, and you'll keep sober till I give the word, and you may lay to that. Well, I don't say no, do I? Growled the coxswain, Israel hands. What I say is when, that's what I say when. When, by the powers, cried Silver. Well, now, if you want to know, I'll tell you when. The last moment I can manage, and that's when. Mm. He sort of explains, like, they know how to sail the boat. He says... Um, if I was sure of all you, sons of double Dutchmen, I'd have Captain Smallest navigate us halfway back again before I struck. <laughs> And Dick says, why, we're all seamen aboard here, I should think. And he says, we're all forecastle hands, you mean. We can't steer a course, but we can steer a course, but who's to set one? Um, uh, ba, 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 but you're never, um, I'll finish on the island as soon as the blunt's on board, and a pity it is. But you're never happy till you're drunk. Split my sides, I have a sick heart to sail with the likes of you. How many tall ships, think ye now, I have seen laid aboard? And how many brisk lads, drying in the sun at execution dock, and all for the same hurry and hurry and hurry? You see, you hear me? I see the thing or two I have. And he, like, has this argument, like, four more times during the book, uh-huh. where he's like, stop drinking, and stop partying, and work a little hard, and take some time, and we can have all the gold, but you want to do everything right now, and party your guts out, mm-hmm. and, like, fritter everything away. And I think what they're setting us up, in the, at least in season one so far, 
is like a silver who may or may not have that idea right now, but Flint's got it. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Flint's got Absolutely. it for the long con. Yeah. Everything that we've been talking about and that you guys have been saying, all these episodes about, like, he's like, I'm going to save them from themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These guys want to, like, party their money away, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do something great with it. Yeah. And, like, that is a thing that goes all the way through this. And, like... There is some, I guess you would call it moralizing about everybody, but we see that, like, everybody's duplicitous and everybody's ruthless, and the thing that, like, like, puts our quote-unquote heroes, like, makes them the heroes is, like, they're super in control of their own impulses, mostly. Mm-hmm. They're stoics. And I think that that is, like, I never would have thought about that. Yeah. That's but then cool. there's so I was about to say there's so much mention of Marcus Aurelius on the show. There actually isn't. There's just a <laughs> lot of mention on this podcast. <laughs> but I enjoy that. Um, so that is like that is a major like when I was thinking about that in here. I wonder if there's like any quotes. Did you that. reread the book just like recently? I skimmed it. You skimmed it. Okay. On my flight here so these three rules that you came up with are in the context of Black Sails plus Treasure Island. Yes, mm-hmm. that's that's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm sort of saying. No, no, but I mean, you're you're also saying they are very they are intrinsic to the story of Treasure Island, but they have surfaced for you with the clarity of with help from Black Sails. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. We have to revisit this between seasons. Yeah, we because really have the to. seasons are just meditations on these themes and more, yeah. and like which, you know, the word pirate, the genre pirate encompasses. So many of these. This is why Black Sails is so good because pirate genre has like historically been such a reductive thing because of things like Pirates of the Caribbean and even like you know Muppet Treasure Island is great. I love Muppet Treasure Island, but it is like a fun pirates kids movie. Yeah. Where Black Sails is like pirates is about greed and like and like survival and legacy and adventure and uh, it's just it's so good. It mm-hmm. leaves room for all these things. It's about the human condition, really. <laughs> And civilization and society. Yeah. I have some quotes that may... Both traditionalist and radical critics can read the story as an endorsement for order and morality, with the social elite triumphing and triumphing, and Jim Hawkins learning the importance of saving precious resources for future needs and of taking <laughs> advice from one's elders. <laughs> Other readers have focused instead on the extent to which Jim is depicted as taking the initiative, disobeying the orders of his superiors escaping from the ship and the stockade to go off on his own and leaping up to the abandoned ship. Such actions are essential to the pirate's eventual defeat. Jim is himself more than a bit piratical, and so are his mentors in their capture of the buried treasure. Um, I mean, that is absolutely true. Like, the whole reason that his whole scene with Israel Hands rules is because it feels like... I mean, it's not the climax of his whole adventure, but you feel like he's taken into account a lot of the things he's already learned on this, like, crazy adventure that he's got, and it's like... I'm fa- it's me versus Israel, and I'm going to win, and I have to win. Yeah. It's not like i got to survive this. It's like this is a win-or-lose situation, yeah. and I'm going to win. I mean, it's like we've s- sort of seen with Eleanor integrating her pirate side and her civilization side or trying to figure out the balance of how piratey she can be. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the, the ideal way to get the treasure is to balance those two impulses Mm -hmm. yeah and and bringing in characters like eleanor and even flint are so 
it's not just further characters meditating on these themes. It's that these characters have to go off and be like, what if I got to build a whole city and society yeah. in my image and my thought, my, mm-hmm. my approach to these themes. Whereas like, this is, I mean, again, Treasure Island, it's an amazing adventure, but it's basically like, what if we took the lessons of pirates and the lessons of this treasure hunt and tried to build a society shaped around what I learned on this, in this story, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's all those things. Cla- ah, yeah. Can I say one more quote from Long John Silver? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just I just think, I just think of it because he's just talking about his parrot and how his parrot learned to swear. <laughs> but he says, um, "Now that bird is maybe two hundred years old, Hawkins. They live mostly forever. And if anybody's seen more wickedness, it must be the devil himself." Blah 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 blah. Uh, and she's a handsome craft. She is the cook would say, and give her sugar from sugar from his pocket. And then the bird would peck at the bars and swear straight on, passing belief for wickedness. There, John would add, you can't touch pitch and not be mucked, lad. Which I always just think is such a great little proverb of him saying, like, if you fuck around with dirty people, you're going to become a dirty person. Yeah. And uh, I think, like, I'm, 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 I'm expecting some, some, dirty some more of that. I'm just <laughs> expecting everybody to get more and more ruined as they go along. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. It's so... Again, I I have this perspective of having watched the whole show, so I know Silver's whole arc. But it is so rewarding as as for Treasure Island to be a thing that you turn to after finishing the show, because after everything we see Silver go through on the show, oh, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. He doesn't he doesn't talk to any children on the show. Mm-hmm. Like the, his relationship with Jim is entirely unique to Treasure Island and and it and it makes it even more ambiguous to me as a reader yeah. after having seen Silver's journey that is like mm-hmm. is he being more honest with this boy because he's a child because he's a kid does yeah. he actually awaken something in him that nobody else has yeah I think it's I at least think it's possible yeah and that I think is one of the things that makes it a good book yeah do you have any other que- any other questions or closing thoughts or whatever you should read it you should reread it next time we I'll do reread it, it. Also, how often they haven't made like a good actual movie out of this thing that's like actually They keep trying. I I don't know. Like I mean they made one with Eddie Izzard like three years ago. They made a show or was that a movie or a show? It was probably a TV movie. Mm -hmm. But also like the like third listed character was Flint, so clearly they like changed some shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Donald Sutherland is That wasn't that wasn't Donald Sutherland playing the parrot? No. (laughs) Maybe I misread the situation. Um I don't know. Uh, I don't know how they can't make a good movie out of it. It seems really doable. Yeah. Maybe it's the first person narration of like some like non-speaking events that wouldn't translate. As always, you can find us on Twitter. We're at here be sa- or here be sales. There be sales. There be sales. <laughs> Jesus. Don't let this guy do that. Now you know who runs our Twitter. <laughs> um, Ned, do you want to plug your stuff again or? No, it's been a pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to hear more about Ned's uh, ventures, you can listen to the end of our last episode where we talked about the season one finale. Mm -hmm. You can check out rabidbattheatricals.com. Okay, thanks for playing. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Quick and easy. Um, uh, We want to hear there be dragons mentioned on every page of the Rabid Bat Theatricals (laughs) website, if you please. You know, I'm not the one who runs that website, so I'll I'll talk to to Tay, but I don't know. I can't make any promises. Uh... Anyway, uh, thanks so much for being a part of this. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you for telling. Thank you for having me over, and thank you for turning me on to Black Sales eight weeks ago. Oh yeah, there's the best is yet to come. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye guys.